Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are listening to a Rattledge Broadcasting premiere podcast. Damn you, Hollywood! <laughs> and here's your host, Robert Winfrey. Yay! All right, let me let me do this right off the bat. No, I'm not going to curse at Mark tonight. Now, there's a very specific reason for this. Mark did not insist this movie be on the schedule. In fact, I believe I suggested it. Uh, you brought uh, no. you brought it up. Hang on. You brought it up as a, hey, this is coming out now. And I said, more enthusiastically than usually, yeah, sure. Okay. I, I, I had the opportunity to have said, <laughs> we need to avoid this disaster. Mm-hmm. But there's a bunch of Roland Emmerich movies that I do enjoy, and I don't mean in the you know ironic sense that like oh how bad they are. Like I, I genuinely enjoy some of the man's films. I like disaster movies; they're a guilty pleasure of mine. And there's nothing else out, so hey, that's uh, sure. That was literally why. I mean, it was the choices here. I think were Jackass, which. There's nothing to review. Yeah, I mean, you, my, you can't review Jackass. Yeah, my my son and I barely got to a three minute TikTok on it. it it's just it's a collection of vignettes I, of guys mutilating themselves. I assume and it was a that's lot. Funny. I assume it was a lot of your son going, "Boy, I saw so many penises." <laughs> we 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 had to have a conversation in the car. <laughs> so, um, but yes, there was a lot of penis in that movie, like right from the get go. So did um, Butterbean show back up again? No, Francis Ngannou. I, I know Ngannou did. I've seen the okay. press junket where he shows up and like punches some poor guy in the balls. Yeah, he does. That was that, full of a, That was part of an elongated skit of various athletes uh, hitting him with various things in the balls. Yeah, I, we'll <laughs> talk more about Jackass in a minute or two. Yeah. In any case, but those are the are talking, Jackass or Moonfall. And since you can't review Jackass, right? we decided, not, instead of take the week off, yeah, sure, we'll talk Moonfall. And then, and the reviews started coming in. And then Mark saw it before I did. And Mark's immediate response was, call me for bail money after you see this and burn down the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agreed to bond you out. <laughs> and then I saw it, and we're going to talk about that particular experience. Um, yeah, so that's how we got here. That, that, that's kind of the long story short. Is that's how we got here. This was this, the only kind of real option. And Mark spent every week up until this movie's release going, yeah, it's probably going to win the weekend. And we'll talk about that in the money. And to be clear, I don't... I think I was probably in the minority who had a d different read on the tea leaves than a lot of other people did about this. I have to give Further you... Further out. I know you, you're not great at taking compliments, but I do have to give you a lot of credit there. You, you saw well down the road that Jackass still maintains a cultural popularity that brings people to the theater which I was utterly dismissive of. And that was why I, I thought Moonfall would win the weekend. 
I figure, who the hell still watches this stuff? Well, Apparently, I'm... a lot of people. I would venture a guess. This is mm -hmm. just a guess. This is the last thing on Jackass. Then we're going to get on to Moonfall. My hunch is a lot of people who watched Jackass in its heyday, which was around the time I was in junior high. Mm -hmm. Or like, like junior high, early high school. That's when Jackass was kind of at its peak. I mean, they're now your age and my age, right? All right. And your son saw the trailer for this thing and just about died laughing, apparently. Yeah, it was as the very first time he saw the Jackass Forever trailer. And mind you, that was over the summer because yeah. this thing was supposed to come out in October before it got delayed till, uh, till February. So he's been seeing the Jackass Forever trailer for like six months now. And every time he's like, that looks hilarious. Because my son, at even almost eight years old, is smart enough to think that morons mutilating themselves is funny. And my hunch on this is a lot of people, you know, who are now our age, mm -hmm. 30s, 40s, who were teenagers when the jackass phenomena occurred and were the target demo, now have children who young boys especially, saw oh, yeah. that and thought, this is the funniest thing in the world. And they've got enough of a nostalgia kick going on to go, you know what, sure, I will share this experience with my child. And I, th I think that's a little bit more, uh, that's going to be a lot of what I accounted for the success of Jackass. But Okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but I'll tell you this. So back before October, probably in the September area, my son and I did an alternative commentary audio only for the uh, for Jackass the movie and uh, then then it got delayed so it's just it was sitting in the can for us for up until about a, two weeks ago and then I released it and I was like okay I mean it'll be what it'll be I doubt but you know what it's on YouTube it's getting on 400 views on YouTube right now getting close to it and just and just like 400 like the critical drinkers and like the thousands and the millions okay well we're a little channel but um, yeah, and <clears throat> I mean, look, my joke on our YouTube numbers has always been you've got to throw at least one more zero behind everything we do right now before YouTube gives a single solitary crap about anything we do. The point being but, that for us, that was like three, four. That, yeah, that was like three, three, four hundred time percent higher than we normally do. Like yeah. the average of, of us is just 30 to 50 views, at least for my for, for my thing. Depend, yeah, depending less. on which yeah, depending on which property we're talking about specifically. Yeah. Right. And unless it's band made, um, you know, when you start getting <laughs> over a hundred, like we, we we've hit a home run. You start getting into three and four hundreds. I don't know what the hell we did, but we but we, we had a review. We now. had a we had a damn you Hollywood that I think got shared on some like Indian YouTube channel as a potential <laughs> like Hey, come watch the movie when it's just us reviewing it. Yeah, I think it was, that might have been James Bond. <laughs> it was, it uh, was something I forget what, but yeah, we got something that just anomalously spiked. Yeah. Uh, anyway, on to Moonfall now, and mm. <sighs> <laughs> I don't, I don't drink. Okay. <laughs> so understand, <laughs> this is water. <laughs> Vodka. I even quit. Vodka. I even quit drinking soda. Um, 
I, I really want to use that for my TikTok ago. clip, but we're about to go into a plot summary. But that, but <laughs> you going, I don't drink in regards to Roland Emmerich films is really feel funny free to, to feel free to clip that and use it as you feel fit. <laughs> so Moonfall kicks off in the vaunted golden bygone era of 2011. Uh, our two of our main protagonists are in space. They're repairing a satellite. It's and I have a reason. I have a reason I'm going to refer to Patrick Wilson this way. So bear with me. But discount, uh, discount Luke Perry, <laughs> and Halle Berry looking more bored than I was. <laughs> this entire movie, I watched her and I went, you know, your career's dead. You know, I, I don't want to interrupt you. I really don't. I really I, want I you to get through this. I want to talk about the movie, but I do have to say, I was slightly irritated with you when we reviewed Bruce because of your insistence that she her career was like in the toilet and she can't act and all of this other stuff. I, whoa, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I never said the woman couldn't act. I said her career trajectory at this point is downhill. That's what I said. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought you also talked about you know what? I maybe I may be misremembering but i do remember you talking about her performance and you not loving it but that may that, be specifically about that movie yeah th not that about was her as a yeah, performer yeah that i had issues with her performance in that film right. not with her overall she is at times a very talented actress so i'm watching this movie and i'm thinking about you the whole time <laughs> because the whole thing is oh god he's right she's terrible <laughs> I was like, damn it, I owe him a yet another apology. <laughs> you don't have to apologize for that one. Yeah, she's she she looks like I mean, I don't know if hostage video is the right phrase, but she definitely looks like she's not enjoying herself on this movie. Yeah, again, I'm sitting there bored in the theater, and she looks more bored than I did. Yeah, it was pretty painful. So they're in space, they're fixing a satellite when a pile of CGI attacks them. <laughs> My son referred to it as space venom. Uh, that was the gag. I had I had two that I was debating using. Okay. It was either going to be they're attacked by the venom symbiote mm -hmm. or the smoke monster from Lost finally gets a resolution. <laughs> well, my son beat you to it. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're attacked by this thing. It kills the third it kills their pig hostage the third member of their crew and then it lands on the moon and it's there uh this would be the this would technically be the first time an american has died in outer space so when they i okay i have to say this once and i'm only going to say this once patrick wilson should have been dead in that opening scene <laughs> okay the way at the road, people think that because gravity doesn't work in outer space, because there, you know, there's no gravity, that inertia stops working for some reason. <laughs> like he's tethered to the shuttle. The shuttle starts rotating on its um, on one axis. So just spinning like a, like an alligator death roll. Right. And he gets wound around it, pulled in and slammed onto the inside of the space shuttle. Dead. <laughs> so dead. But so, rolling over. Now, 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 hang on. I have to say it that one time because I will give this stupid movie 
the benefit of the doubt for all the other physics that messes up. I really will. Don't get me wrong. All the physics. Just gone. Forever. All of them. I will let a lot of those go. I really will. Um, in fact, I don't think I'm going to bring this up again. But that one really bothered me. Because <laughs> everything else they do involves alien technology. And like, fine. I will allow... I, I will take this stupid ride. I, I paid for my ticket. I'm going to ride this stupid ride. Give me a reason to suspend my disbelief. And alien technology is a perfectly acceptable reason to suspend my disbelief about a lot of things. None. No, not that opening sequence. Not at all. Just no. Okay. Just no. So back to the plot. Uh, Halle Berry and not Luke and bargain basement Luke Perry head back to Earth where Patrick Wilson tries to tell the truth about what happened. I was attacked by some exogenous technological intelligence and it killed my friend. And everyone said, you're a crazy person. <laughs> and he loses his marriage and his family and resigns in, and is kicked out of NASA. And we flash forward 10 years because movies must be sent contemporaneously. In the present, not Josh Gad. Uh, Tarly from Game of Thrones is what everyone's calling him. I don't watch game. I've never watched Game of Thrones. So, okay. I believe you. I, I, I believe you that that's who that is. But uh, has discovered that the moon's orbit is starting to degrade and not degrade in the way that the moon's orbit kind of does anyway. The moon's orbit kind of naturally is pulled away from Earth by the properties of inertia. In fact, it does move a little further away from us every year or so. I mean, we're talking fractional, but it does. And it's instead now coming towards the Earth. And he tries to tell the people, but he's kind of an idiot. So he tries to tell all the wrong people, and no one <laughs> listens to him. Um, Patrick Wilson is now doing bum work. Uh, he's just a bum. His ex-wife has married Michael Pena. Because... Roland Emmerich has deep-seated issues with the man who married his ex-wife, I can only assume. <laughs> I'll talk about that in a minute or two. Um, Halle Berry doesn't go into space anymore. She's now trying to become the director of NASA. And NASA, around the same time, kind of comes to a similar conclusion about the orbit of the moon and this being a problem. So, we're introduced to a bunch of pointless side characters, including... I have to say it this way because I couldn't stop thinking about this particular interaction, but uh, not Luke Perry's son, Jungle Boy, is arrested. <laughs> I looked at him and I couldn't unsee it. Okay. <laughs> he, he's he's like Von Wagner with longer hair. Now that I've made my professional wrestling references for the evening. Uh, his son is now a ne'er-do-well because his father was traumatized by watching another person die and being publicly dragged through the mud by a government agency. So he's out being a ne'er-do-well. His father tries to make things better, makes things worse, like fathers do, apparently. Uh, the NASA, uh, NASA decides that we need to go look at the moon. And figure out if something's really wonky, because something wonky is going on up there. We'll try to figure out what's, what's going on. 
right around this time, uh, not Josh Gad, who is a uh, he's a conspiracy theorist. He believes all kinds of wonky stuff. The big one being um, these things he calls them mega constructs. Mega he believes mega structures. Mega structures. Thank you. And he is a mega structurist. He believes that the moon is not a giant solid mass of rock, but that it's hollow and that it was put there by aliens. Uh, and he's right, according to this movie. That's painful <laughs> on so many levels. <clears throat> but he releases his the scientific data that he has, which is accurate, that the moon is starting to come closer to the Earth, and this is going to cause problems, which it absolutely would. Um, he and Patrick Wilson wind up becoming acquaintances because he tries to get Patrick Wilson's help, and Patrick Wilson tells him, you're a crazy person. And I know from crazy, because I'm kind of crazy. Uh, as NASA decides to send up a mission to go probe the giant hole that's in one of the large craters on the moon. Don't. Just don't. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. I'm telling you not to. <laughs> they probe the hole and don't. <laughs> <clears throat> and something comes out. This large black mess. Don't do it. <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose because I want to see how long I can torture you. <clears throat> This, uh, <clears throat> this big batch of nanotech. So so the Black Panther basically shows up. Because nanotech. It attacks the space shuttle. It murders the astronauts. And now no one knows what to do exactly about this. So the government does what the government does in all of these movies. Which is either wait too long to evacuate or nuke it. Here they get to do both. Um, uh, there's a minor subplot about Halle Berry's ex-husband being one of the members of the, uh, cab, not, not cabinet. Um, he's the one of the chief joint, of joint chiefs of staff. Thank you. They keep referring to him as a general, despite the fact that he's wearing a Navy uniform. <laughs> <laughs> or an Air, no, no, he's Air Force. Okay, general's appropriate then. Sorry, I got my uniforms confused for a second. Um, oh. So he is trying to he's trying to warn them that, yeah, we're going to nuke the thing because it's what we do. We're the government. This is what we do. Can't build a bridge. Can't support the road systems here in the that we can sure nuke the hell out of the moon. Uh, so Halle Berry tries to recruit Patrick Wilson because they've discovered that this alien technology doohickey is attracted to electronic impulses. And one time, Patrick Wilson landed a shuttle after all the electronics had gone out. So now he is the expert on this. <laughs> if you see my soul exiting my body, I assure <laughs> you it is. <clears throat> so Patrick Wilson drags along our megastructurist, not Josh Gad. And they all get together and there's some help from Elon Musk because pop culture reference and the Chinese help out because we're trying to get into China for the movie pur for purposes of the movie. And Hey, by the way, Halle Berry has a border in her house who happens to be Chinese and who kind of watches her kid and gets a lot of screen time because 
China. Because once upon a time, Warcraft bombed in America, but made all of its money in China. And now that's how Hollywood works. So did Venom. <laughs> yeah. People forget that about the first Venom. Uh, anyway. Um, Patrick Wilson agrees to help on the condition that the government get his son out of jail, which they do. Uh, he starts kind of mending fences with his son. Uh, he is then going to fly a mission to take an EMP device. Uh, I for I missed the part where Donald Sutherland showed up, and God bless that man for cashing that check. Yeah, he showed up on red lines, all right. <clears throat> he gave a better line reading than anyone else in this movie. Yeah. And I, I feel like his conceit to being in this, like in addition to the money, was I'm not going to walk. <laughs> like you are not worth my time to walk. And they said, sure, here's a wheelchair. And he said, it better be electric. And they went sold. <laughs> uh, Halle Berry becomes the, does become the director of NASA after the current director sees the horrible things going on in the moon and Amscray's. And uh, Donald Sutherland is there and gives her a brief exposition dump. They, as a, she's in charge, they try to set up this joint space mission to go detonate this EMP and kill the thing because this is the best idea we have apart from nukes and the radioactive fallout, don't you understand? <laughs> Clearly you don't, Mr. Screenwriter. I'm going to get t-shirts made up one day that says, don't you understand, and I'm going to sell them. I uh, wish you luck. Hmm. Uh, if we ever get merch up and running, I'm happy to. I, I will <laughs> happily contribute catchphrases and/or sign them. I was listening to one of our old podcasts the other day, and I and, I, and it ended with uh, what I used to say is um, we are happy to. I think it was uh, look forward to offending you in the. Future. We look forward to offending you in the future. Yeah, my son goes. Why don't you still use that? <laughs> It became too. It became. It was too true. You can it, only. Well, <laughs> yeah, it, it became. It stopped being a joke. Number one and number two. This this earns us a bit of you know a few pennies now. So I have to watch myself. Anyway, go on. Yeah, it. It was still a joke, but it was a joke that was too close to reality. <laughs> yeah. So they plan this space mission. The space mission falls apart because reasons. <laughs> because we can't have a well-oiled machine operate. It has to be the plucky underdogs. And a ragtag group of supporting cast. Um, right around the same time, uh, not Josh Gad and a couple of other red shirts have done some more math on the moon's decreasing orbit and realized, oh, it's going faster than we thought. We don't have the same time frame we thought we did. This is bad. But it does allow them a minor opportunity to fix part of the problem that they ran into, and in that if they can launch at the right time, the, Earth, the increased gravity that the moon is demonstrating, apparently something like 80% of Earth's gravity at this point, will allow them to use less fuel. They have an engine that's faulty, so we can kind of limp our way to escape velocity with the assistance of the moon on this particular pass around the planet. And that will help pull us out, and then we can do the rest of the mission. So they do this, of course. There's a, One of the only sequences in this movie I really liked was when they're taking off and the big tidal wave is coming at them. I mean, it's clearly yeah. cribbed straight from Interstellar because, of course, it is. But I still, I love that scene in Interstellar, and that one's much better. But I, 
I didn't hate that sequence. I thought it was pretty cool. They, so they take off a bunch of our other, everyone left back on earth is now going to do one of two things. We're going to either follow the general as he tries not to nuke the moon or the children and ex-spouses as they try to get to safety. That's all they're doing. The people doing important things. <laughs> uh, they refuel. They head to the moon. This goes badly. The space shuttle gets banged up. They deploy. They have a plan to deploy the probe to, to deploy a rover uh, and turn on all of its electronics, which will then draw out the thing. It then gets close enough. They detonate the EMP, and the thing dies. Unfortunately. They turn, they place the thing over the hole, they turn it on, the thing comes out, it then doesn't attack, it doesn't get close enough for the detonation to work, it comes towards the space shuttle, they don't get destroyed because they turn off a handful of smaller electronics by bashing them repeatedly onto a protrusion in the <laughs> space shuttle, and they then work later, because that's... Because <laughs> of course it does. Least believable thing in this movie. Apart from Patrick Wilson surviving the first five minutes. Uh, they come up with a new plan uh, that involves flying down into the moon. So they do, and they find out that it is, in fact, a megastructure with a captured white dwarf star. And I just wanted to... I'd give it my brains had my brain had already chewed its way through the top of my skull in a desperate attempt to escape what I was subjecting it to at this point in the movie. Just mm-hmm. gnawed its way right out. Took forever to find it. <laughs> Poor thing. Um, they find so they head into the middle of the moon where they find this thing and all the alien technology. They uh, they then get chased by our cloud of pixels. <laughs> they are rescued from certain death by the semi-sentient AI that runs the moon because it's a giant machine. Patrick Wilson is given a ton of exposition about how humanity was seeded by its progenitors who were these giant, bald, white things that yeah, inadvertently created the... No, sorry, wrong bad, ex- wrong bad sci-fi movie trying to explain the theory of alien seeding and panspermia uh, that were humans that long ago had achieved utopia, but don't you know, like all utopian societies, they created an AI to make their lives easier, and the AI decided it was going to be Skynet. <laughs> As we so, all are. So all of the uh, like thousands of these little clouds... Uh, what we got is Galactus, right? We got Galactus from the, the Silver Rise of the Silver Surfer movie. Like, that version of Galactus shows up. Um, there was a big war between these AIs and well, the progenitors of humanity. Uh, but before the progenitors of humanity were wiped out, they were able to send off one megastructure. It became the moon that showed up here, found a planet in the Goldilocks zone, and just orbited the Earth until the conditions were right for it to dump genetic material to help create life, I suppose. That's never really explained in anything approximating adequate fashion. 
Um, <laughs> but the long and the short of it is there's more of these terrible things out there all spread across the universe, searching, endlessly searching for the combination of a advanced electronic material and bio and biological material that exists within it because this is all that life creates apparently <laughs> and uh the super uh, the the, ma the magic place where they are now 3d prints them a new ship and supercharges their bomb and it downloads a bunch of information into Patrick Wilson and they all get back on the ship and they escape and they draw the thing out towards one of the tunnels. But now their detonation me uh, mechanism has been damaged. So we need a human being to stay behind because we must have a heroic sacrifice. Of course we must. And Patrick Wilson says, it'll be me. And Halle Berry says, why you? And they bicker as not Josh Gad goes, you know what? Anything to get out of this conversation. <laughs> So he climbs into the back and he detaches the rover with the bomb and he lets the thing get close enough and he detonates and it kills the thing and the moon because it's now back under its own control, returns to its own orbit. Somewhere in the midst of all this, back on the farm, Michael Pena dies because Roland Emmerich... I am convinced Roland Emmerich made the Independence Day sequel only so he could kill Bill Pullman. <laughs> Because this is what he does. He, anytime he has a male lead who has a broken family, whose wife has moved on, the new husband must die. I, yeah, I'm waiting for you to stop so I can talk about that. Please. I, 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 unless you want me to finish the plot. because there's Please a... finish the plot synopsis. So everything <clears throat> is now hunky-dory. Um, Patrick Wilson and Halle Berry crash land back on Earth, but of course they're fine. They reunite with their respective families. The moon returns to its proper position in orbit, and wouldn't you know it, not Josh Gad didn't die. His consciousness was downloaded into the into the AI uh, operating system that runs the moon. And he gets to now do all the nerd things forever as part of cyberspace. And we end on a stinger that's trying to hint at a possible sequel to this colossal <laughs> failure. So we're going to talk a little bit later about Roland Emmerich saying, you know, uh, complaining about the lack of new ideas in Hollywood, which is rich and ironic coming from a guy who took every single one of his tropes from every single one of his movies <sighs> and basically made a remix of it. I mean, I we've talked about directors bands musicians whatever hang on they're like let's they cover let's, themselves almost. let's do it let's do a count very briefly about how many of his own ideas he is ripping off here okay well hey, every on. single one of his movies has to have a broken family and the male lead has to be completely on his ass one of them yeah okay so we've got male lead with a broken family mm-hmm We've got Gravity being played with, which is a riff off of the Independence Day sequel, which we don't speak of because after you and I reviewed it, we agreed to burn it from our memories. We've got the weather being played with, so we've got the day after tomorrow. Government ineptitude is kind of a constant theme for anything not the that's first an, Independence Day. I was going to say that's in all of his movies. Government yeah, like that. 
<laughs> I, I'm almost not going to count that one because he is far from the only <laughs> director who does. No, that but one. I mean, every single one of his movies is the government's answer to things is to not listen to the scientists and use nuclear weapons to the point where when they did it in this one, I almost threw my son and my pants at the screen. <sighs> and uh, you've got large scale again, large scale disasters kind of par for the course. Um, you've got New York being destroyed. Which is kind of usual, but he does it with a tidal wave again. So again, we're talking about the day after tomorrow. There's, you got aliens. But he, here's the thing, Robert. I wouldn't mind that he's doing a lot of the same. I mean, he he. It's a it's a Roland Emmerich disaster movie. He's gonna do some of the same stuff he always yeah. does. But I mean, we've we've reached critical mass with it, right? Here's the thing. You can get away with it if the coat of paint you're throwing on it is new and fun and interesting and, you know, and got some jingly keys there. If it can distract you enough from the fact that it's the same crap over and over and over again, I'm actually okay with it. My problem with Moonfall and and why I'm more irritated with him complaining that no one saw his movie or that it was hard to get it made is that it doesn't even feel like he put a lot of time and energy into this. Like, Not really. Like, this feels like him trying to get a paycheck to do to, to do something. Like, this this movie was bereft of any kind of heart. It was bereft of any kind of style. And and here's the thing. Like, <clears throat> you know, I joked about... I, I've got... I joked about... I've got a theory about this. <laughs> I joked about The Matrix Resurrections, and I said, I wish we could have just reviewed the trailer. Because the trailer was fantastic. The no, movie wasn't. sucked balls. I, I like the use of um uh what do you call it um i don't know wonderland no the alice in wonderland song i know which uh, one. I don't white know rabbit the, i don't know the name of the song it was my okay point. it's a jefferson airplane song uh remember anyway um i i love the use of the song and i and i thought it went well with the trailer and then i saw the movie and, like the movie sucked i'm like i'd rather just talk about the trailer i can't believe i'm the guy that's saying that well here we are again now mid-february and I'm like, and I was really excited about this movie, to be honest with you. Like, I loved, I love disaster movies and I love Roland Emmerich. Just met, like 2012, I think is fantastic. Not that it's a well-made movie, but it's a really fun movie to look at. You know, it's, it's a fun visual experience. I've got, I've got my issues with 2012, but I think largely you know, you're correct there. Like there's a, 2012 is a. The celebration of excess, which I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, the script is a mess in certain places, mm -hmm. but it, 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 it also <clears throat> 2012 has a very simple premise. Well, the, the earth is falling apart and people are having, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's a, it was a similar concept with Moonfall. You know, what happens when your entire planet Except, is going to pieces? But yeah. here's and here's the thing that my point. So I'm, I'm in the theater and I would see the trailers for Moonfall and it was like like that really like rock remixed version of uh, of bad moon rising which is not in the movie by the way which pissed me off i can't even find a copy of like that version of that song um in any case the the trailer makes you think that this is going to be a really fun jazzy happening uh movie with a lot of action and you're going to see a roland emmerich disaster movie and so you think there's going to be a lot of disaster porn scenes so not only do you get every single tired tortured roland emmerich trope not only do you get lazy board performances, 
except for the guy, except except for the guy you keep calling uh, not Josh Gad. He's trying his damn best. The problem is his damn best is not that interesting. Well, hang on. Let's be. Let's also be very clear. I don't care who you think the greatest actor of all time is. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Pick whoever you want. Whatever thespian you think is exists near the top of that pantheon, you take any and all of them. You ask them to do this. I, I think you're correct. I think that poor guy did as good a job as right. could be done. But he is the only material. one in the film that even comes close to being engaging. Because Halle Berry looks like she's there at gunpoint, and Patrick Wilson looks like Harrison Ford in Patriot Games. He's just like, I don't know what's going on half the time. Um, I don't know what movie I'm in. He's, he reminds me of you and McGregor complaining about the Star Wars movies. It was like, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I'm just, I'm against the green screen. I don't know what's happening. What am I supposed to do? What am I reacting to? Um, I got a bit, I got a bit more like Alec Guinness in the original, like Sir Alec Guinness in the original Star Wars movie, like where he he openly stated, I don't, I have no idea what anything about this movie just nothing yeah didn't know what i didn't know what he was saying he was just like you want me to say this all right i'll say it as best like yeah but i don't know what this means um which is fine for george lucas but anyway and and george (laughs) lucas went if you can read you can be in my movie yep and even if you can't i will figure out a way so this is the by far the worst roland emmerich movie i've ever seen though i haven't seen stone stonewall yet um, that's coming I, later this year. I but, don't know where this fall like between well, this and the I, Independence Day sequel. I genuinely like honestly, I, I genuinely the, don't know. The Independence Day sequel didn't bore me to tears. I mean, how do you get it bored did. in a movie with them? With like, if you if you walk into my office, like I want to pitch you a movie. The moon is falling out of orbit. It's going to hit the planet. Like, do, stop drilling. You've hit oil. How do you <clears throat> how do you make that concept? boring as shit i'll tell you how you only have two scenes of real disaster you have the tidal wave scene which is really which is really cool looking yeah then there's another part and i don't remember towards the end of the movie um where you get to see large-scale disaster happening on the planet and then that's the last time you do it so the whole rest of the movie are these boring unengageable tired characters doing boring unengageable tired dialogue mixed in with a little science gobbledygook. And then there's the tired, boring family drama with character. I mean, like you're, you're, I didn't understand the whole Michael Pena thing in, in the sense of you as the audience member are supposed to cheer for Patrick Wilson getting his family back, except that I never really got a clear sense of what was so bad about Michael Pena that we wanted him to die in the fucking snow. You, um, you had look. You had the same problem with 2012, right? Where mm-hmm. the old, they kill off the guy that John Cusack's ex-wife marries. Mm-hmm. They kill him in like the final, like the, like he drowns as they're getting onto the arcs at the end of Memories, mm-hmm. like right at the end. He dies for no other reason than so John Cusack can get his family back, he, right? Because he is established as being a good, decent human being. Like if you want to make this work, the new guy has to at least partially. Y- there's got to be something that you don't like. Like he snipes at Patrick Wilson when they disagree. Right. But I'm Patrick sorry. Wilson, but Patrick Wilson lost his job and then like couldn't get his act together and lost his family. Yeah. I get why Michael Pena thinks he's a loser. 
That's yeah, the, that was look, the thing. Like, you... I, I was, I was like taking up for Michael Pena, and then you have the son. Hang on, because this is important here. Because, because you're, because you're like your point of view character. You know, the person that you're supposed to be like rooting for in this is Patrick Wilson's son, who has no personality. This guy's a walking mop. You know, he's supposed to be like he doesn't even get a cool ne'er do well character. He's doing ne'er do well things, but he's not in any way cool or engaging or rebellious in any way, shape, or form. He's just a mop. And the little bit that you do see him, I, I called like, him. I called him Jungle Boy for a reason. <laughs> well, Jungle Boy has more charisma than he does. Um, eh, Jungle Boy's got a theme song people like. <laughs> I'm telling you, but that, but by comparison, Jungle oh, Boy's sure. practically well, uh, Ric Flair. Oh no, like you put these two side by side, and yeah, sure, like hundred yeah. percent. So that's the thing. Like, I'm not engaged by the character. There isn't enough action and destruction to keep me engaged. The plot is so stupid; it should be studied. And so by the end of it, my son's like, I loved it. What did you think? And I'm like, I think you're eight and you're allowed to. But, <laughs> but no, said, this is terrible. He's going to listen to this said, later. You should have said, when, when we get home, I'm taking away all your electronics and you sit in the corner and think about what you did. Oh, I'm not going to punish him for having opinions. That's that's your thing. Um, but, that's why I said that's what, look, you asked me. That's you, what you should have done. You know, he listens to these podcasts uh, when he goes to sleep at night. He likes, you know, they, he likes to li listen to the ones that he's on. But he'll also listen to, yeah, which, by the way, when we did the, uh, I think I told you when we did the, um, when we did Hotel Transylvania and Ice Age, and he was doing the yelling at critics bit. I was just like, my God, it's like talking to an eight-year-old Robert. <laughs> at one point, when he was like, Are, like, how could you be this stupid? This isn't a horror movie. I was, I, I, I was having a hard time controlling myself from laughing. Um, in any case, so. He's so he'll, he'll he'll hear me say at some point if he isn't already asleep by this point in the podcast that no this was not a good movie this there in the course of doing this is really the last thing I have to say about this in the course of doing damn you Hollywood you and I have had a lot of conversations about things that are at least fun they may be badly written but they're at least fun to watch where so for me it's like well what fails in your eyes what's not good to you what is, you know when they have the chris baileys of the world asking me but but why do you think it's bad you know i watched it i had a good time my sons jumped up and down in their seats why is this thing bad and we talk about objective criteria something that i think you know that i had to explain to an eight-year-old but even adults don't seem to understand the difference between objective quality and subjective uh opinion subjective quality um this thing, all it had to do was at least be minimally engaging. It had to have good action sequences with a proper amount of uh, destruction to keep to keep you interested. It had to have characters that were dynamic in range and were engaging on the screen. It does none of those things. If this is a this, I said it before, and and we we were cutting each other off, so I'm going to say it very clearly now. I don't know what possessed Roland Emmerich to make this because this feels like, you know, when, when we talked about Lana Wachowski sort of rebelling against WB and making the film, um, making a film she didn't really want to make, but feeling like if she didn't, someone else would, and then she would be bereft of her baby. And we're like, well, that's not a good reason to make a movie. This feels like that only he did want to make this movie, which goes to his complaining that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. And I don't understand what, I don't understand why he wanted to make this movie if he seemingly wasn't going to put effort into it. Or has he just now got so bad at this? Because like, you know, I think about The Day After Tomorrow and I think about 2012 and I think about some of the, you know, some of the Godzilla. 
there used to be an energy about his movies and under independence day there was an undeniable roland emmerich energy of like what if you gave a eight-year-old 200 million dollars and told him go make a movie what that they would make a roland emmerich movie and that eight-year-old energy is gone from this this feels like this feels like he went almost like he went to Lionsgate and was like, I want to make, I want to do death of a salesman. They're like, aren't you the disaster porn guy? Here's $150 million. Go blow a planet up. Fuck face. And he just kind of went home and got together. And you got to see the writing staff on this. The writing, the writing credits on, on this are hilarious. I want to share them with you just, but I want to give you a chance. I remember I stayed in the credits long <laughs> enough to see who do I blame for this. Yeah. I, I'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Cause we really have to. But like it's like he went to his crappy writing team and was like, yeah, they gave me $150 and told me I can't make Death of a Salesman. I have to make a stupid disaster movie. So I don't know. What do you guys got? I don't know. What if what if the moon falls on the falls on the earth? Yeah, that seems like something I would make. And, you know, and, but, and what if, just... but what if the interior of the moon was hollow and contained another star that was powering an alien machine? And that's what gave rise to all life on the planet. And there's more of the. I have a theory about why he did this. OK. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, like I, this I do, feels I like do. it has no energy. This feels like it has uh, no, like, no enthusiasm you, about it. Like, like, like it's on, just... you, you hit on the the fundamental truth of this film. I think. Okay. This is a boring movie. Yeah, it is. There's huge stretches of the like that they take forever mm-hmm. for no good reason to reach the obvious points. Right. Like, okay. Hang turns on. Out... Hang on, before you continue, that was one thing I, I I just needed to mention this. I think where the movie starts to lose me is the idea of you're standing in a house that's on fire. You're, there's flames everywhere. And you're talking to somebody and you're like, the house is on fire. What are we going to do? And the person says, I don't know. You deal with it. And then they proceed to just walk into the flames. That's half of this movie where they're like, <laughs> the moon's falling out of orbit and people quit now Na- and then the one guy quits nasa over it it's like i'm gonna go be with my family motherfucker there's the you're about to lose your whole family when the planet explodes but the even better one was patrick well was when halle berry goes to patrick wilson and she's like you have to help and he was like nah <laughs> i have better things to do motherfucker you're about to lose the whole planet what do you mean you have better things to do Sorry, I needed to get that out. Now, no, no, now, go ahead. There's so much of that. Yeah, that, oh, because it's a it's a Roland Emmerich trope of the reluctant hero. But no one would be re- again if you're standing in the middle of a house on fire. No one's going to be reluctant to put the damn fire out. Uh, you know? I, I mean the the best reluctant hero Roland Emmerich was ever responsible, at least partially responsible for creating, is Mel Gibson's lead character in The Patriot, mm-hmm. who is. His the, that's actually a kind of subversive title for that particular movie when you think about uh, the lead, mm-hmm. because Mel Gibson's character does not have any particular affinity for the cause of American independence for a lot of that film. <laughs> um, he finds it. He finds it by the end, which is uh, a ni- which is you know nice. It's actually part of his arc a little bit towards the end there, but. His character is anti-war because he's been part of it and he knows the horrors of war. And he's like, you know what? I don't think this is worth it right now. Right. Like, I know, ex- and 
it's a reasoned position. Yeah, and once it, it becomes, and when he reaches the point where it is no longer reasonable to avoid violence, mm-hmm. he stops being. It's a, important to note that if we hadn't formed America, the earth wasn't going to crack. <laughs> okay. No, no, which is part of the point, which is part of the point there, but. You need a reason if you're going to have people be that stupid about mm-hmm. this. And Patrick Wilson originally being bitter at Halle Berry makes sense. Like, she kind of threw him under the bus or was partially responsible for the for him being thrown under the bus. So him being bitter and mistrustful and whatnot, I get. But you, they resolve that in three minutes when she says, <laughs> Don't you understand? The moon's falling. And he goes, fine, but only if you help my son. And then, like, what needed to happen here, if I might play script doctor just a little bit, she needed to say, I need your help. And he goes, and he accepts, but he spends the next 30 to 40 minutes being, you know, bitter and angry and snarky about it. Yeah. Like, yeah, sure, I will help save the planet, but... uh. You know, Armageddon handled it the best. An asteroid's going to hit the planet. That's the craziest thing. How in the world do you make a movie worse than a Michael Bay film? So Armageddon... I like Armageddon. Armageddon, who doesn't? Armageddon, real quick, an asteroid's going to hit the planet and everyone's going to die. They're like, okay, we need oil drillers to go up there and drill a hole in this thing so that it'll break, you know, it'll break up or something along those lines. We drill, th- we drill a hole into the asteroid onto a fault line. We drop nukes. We detonate said nukes. Yeah. Now it's small. The asteroid and it will miss the planet. Right. Uh, or whatever pieces will not have the impact of, of total destruction the way this will. And they go, okay, but none of us have to pay taxes again. That was it. That <laughs> there was no Bruce Willis walking off into the distance to contemplate his future. The future was we're all going to die. They knew the assignment. They just, they used it to their advantage, which all Patrick Wilson had to say is, yes, I understand Armageddon is on its way. Just make sure my son is safe. That was all that needed. Not, as you said, 40 minutes of him hemming, you know, so that he could get closer to the Tarly <laughs> and, and, and avoid the movie, the, the, avoid, the, avoid the obvious part of the movie. And like, and then the other thing, like I get the the distrust of government that seems to be in all of Roland Emmerich's movies. I get, you know, the distaste for nuclear armaments and whatever. But come on, these people are not functionally retarded. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to launch nukes at the fucking moon. Yet, well, get, 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 come on. Look, Especially when there's a scientist going, no, 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 no. We have a plan. We have a viable plan with resources we actually have. Like this isn't this isn't even like Independence Day, where you know, where, where Jeff Goldblum's like, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna board the mothership and upload a, a virus from a MacBook. You know, <laughs> good morning, Dave. Where where they, where they might be skeptical, <laughs> like I don't know about your plan here. Maybe we'll try the nukes first. This was, we have a space, we have a shuttle, we have equipment, we have things that work. We know exactly what we're going to do and how to do it, and we know that we can do it. And they're like, nah, nukes anyway. Come on. Yeah, it was, it was not handled well. No. Uh, all of the stuff with the people back on Earth trying to survive is just the worst. Yeah. 
there's an entire little bit where our plucky band of uh, extras is attacked by the same group of people who robbed them, try to rob them again, then oh get into God. a car chase. I, I hated that part of the movie so much, I forgot it was in the movie until just now. <laughs> it's so bad. Like, you cut all of that out. Mm. This, For the record, people, this movie is two hours and ten minutes. Yeah, the, that uh, that whole bit with the uh, with the rednecks needed to go and just and you cut on. this down to 90 minutes this was a 90 minute movie that was so overly long by the end of it i wanted my money back yeah, this... like it was that bad and i don't generally talk that way about movies but by i you know like i looked over at my kid I'm like did you really like that they're like yeah it was fun and i'm like god to be young again <laughs> um there's I, I again, I think the criminal, like the most damning thing I can say about this movie, is that it's boring for so long. Yeah, there's they take forever, like they take forever to get Patrick Wilson back on board. He spends he spends he spends forever just bumming around. We spend too much time with uh, uh, Casey, whatever his last name is. Mm -hmm. In defense of a movie like Venom, Let There Be Carnage, at least it knew its runtime was appropriate for the material it had. Sure. I, I as low as I low think by comparison, I, that's a fair assessment. As loath as I am to give that movie any credit about anything, yes, it knew better than to try and be a two-hour film. Yeah. True. Uh, so they take forever for that. They take forever to get their plan set up. They take forever setting it up. They take forever establishing new stakes. They take forever once they launch the stupid mission to hit the first hurdle. They spend an eternity and a half. Like they they all sat down and watched The Irishman in real time. <laughs> like the Highlander, you know, the documentary where events are displayed in real time. So at the so so yes, before uh, they get on the space shuttle, they they do a a quick viewing of I Claudius. And someone <laughs> decides to stage a dramatic reading of Ulysses. I mean, <laughs> there's. <laughs> There's so much wasted time in this movie, mm -hmm. and it, it and it's just, it, it's just that it's wasted. It serves no purpose. Yeah, on occasion here we talk a little bit about um, you know uh, what constitutes like a perfect screenplay or a perfect movie in some respects, and the reality is it, it it's one thing to point at like a, a, a movie that is vaunted. You know, The Godfather is a perfect movie. Well, okay, I'm not I'm not disagreeing, mm -hmm. but writing The Godfather is hard. Here, right? Here's an example. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got a point here. Okay. If you want an example of a perfectly written movie, I, I have a very specific example for all of you. There's a few I could give, but this one because it's close to my heart. Go watch the original Tremors and find one. Hang on, hang on. Find one single solitary sequence in that movie that is extraneous or wasted. I was going to say, I know, and I know you, you know, it has its problems, and and, but I think in terms of structure and in terms of pacing, the seventy-seven Star Wars is pretty good, you know, pretty good bang for your buck. It, you know, it, you have you're opening with uh, utter peril. You meet your menacing villain. You get your point of view characters. You follow them. 
the you know you follow them till they meet you know the hero of this picture the hero loses his family he goes off on an adventure with a wizard they meet a, they they meet a pirate the pirate takes him on his ship they you know and then it's just one action beat after another they rescue the princess they bring her back to the castle and then there's the final assault on the dragon it's relatively perfect in terms of structure and pacing yeah again i i single out tremors because i Every people going wait, like that's not what happened in Star Wars. It's close like, yes, enough. it's following follow what I'm trying to tell you, people. It's close enough. I like Tremors because there's a bunch of littler sequences that all set up something that they all tell you things about their characters while setting up stuff that's paid off later in the film. Like mm-hmm. there's 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 no fat, right? Yeah. Whereas this movie is like just the gristle of everything else Roland Emmerich has ever made. Yeah, it's mostly fat. Uh, and and it's boring, which I've said several times because it really is. And that, that's okay. Start to wrap up. That's the meat of it. Um, I so, there you get. I think like two good scenes. I, I like the scene where they have to take off as the tidal wave is approaching. I actually thought that was mm-hmm. pretty cool. That's probably the best part of the movie by far. Yeah, they. It's visually impressive. It establishes stakes, and they're. Be- at that point in the runtime, it's entirely believable that this thing falls apart and we need to find another plan. So you have legitimate stakes as far as that goes. All right. So this was written by in part by Roland Emmerich, but he had two other writers on it and they've worked with him before. One is Harold Close Closer, and he was a writer on 10,000 BC, 2012, and now Moonfall. He's mostly a composer. Uh, so that's his deal there. He's also executive produced a bunch of other Roland Emmerich films like uh, White House the, Down, Independence Day Resurgence. Look, th- this is his buddy. Yeah, that's his friend. That breaks down. And then there's the, then there's the third writer, and this is the one that really cracked me up. Spencer Cohn um, has written one other movie, Extinction, and he's <laughs> and in addition to writing and being an executive producer on this movie, he's also a writer on the movie coming up later this year called Distant and Expendables 4. So he has a total of one movie to his credit before uh, working on Moonfall. It shows. The writing on this is so amateurish. Yeah, this is not not great. He's <laughs> working on the Expendables 4. That All give right. you a lot of hope for that particular project, Mark? It does not. It does not. All right. Are you ready to wrap here and move on? Yeah, it just in closing, I... I well, can... in closing, I'm pissed that they didn't have Bad Moon Rising, that like the rock and the that rock and roll remix version that's in the trailer. But and boy, I do wish... we have to do we have to talk about Toto and the lyrics <laughs> too? <laughs> yeah, there's a bit at the beginning where they're talking about Africa by Toto, and you know they talk about the lyrics and whatnot. It was very much a excuse that... me while I kiss the sky moment. And that and, that bit in this was almost as painful as the stupid attempted bonding they did between uh, the two leads in the 2016 Ghostbusters. Well, if you're interested in hearing more Toto or the original Bad Moon Rising, or maybe you can even find the version they use in this because I couldn't, you might be able to find it on Amazon Music Unlimited. If you and can't a, find it on Amazon Music, it doesn't exist on the internet. I'm convinced. And as it turns out, we are giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. The link is getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, it's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for your free 30 days. If you like it, you keep it. You pay the monthly fee. 
if you uh, if you don't, you can cancel it. No fuss, no must, no contracts. But it's a great service. We use it all the time on the Metal Hammer of Doom. And with that, let's talk about the fact that there is no money. All righty. So this thing may on a budget of about one hundred and fifty million dollars rounding about (laughs) about about, made at the time of this recording per the Wikipedia page. Ten point five million dollars. That's the sound of your movie bombing there, Mr. Emmerich. That that managed this movie managed to be a bigger disaster financially than the prospect of the moon actually hitting the earth. And I I am sure there's a bunch of critics who make that same joke, and I'm gonna lambast them for it. <laughs> Before right, now, we continue, look, you said you had something you wanted to say here. I do. I don't ask for kudos all that often. Jesus. And, and I really don't. But if you'll all recall two weeks ago, here on Damn You Hollywood, when we reviewed Scream 5, Mark, Ronnie, and I were kind of just chewing the fat a little bit, kind of towards the end, about, well, what's going you know, to happen in a couple of weeks? And we correctly predicted Spider-Man would retake the top spot after Scream's first weekend. And then the question became, so what about the next weekend? And Mark, my sweet summer child, said, <laughs> Moonfall. It's a big, it's a big general audience picture. It's got Roland Emmerich. It's got the moon hitting the earth. What more could you want? And I said, well, Roland Emmerich has a lot of negative box office cachet at the moment. And you should never underestimate the appeal of grown men being hit in the groin repeatedly. In fact, George, in fact, George C. Scott won an Oscar for that. It's a Simpsons reference. <laughs> yes, but football in the crotch was football in the crotch. Football in the groin had a football in the groin. And I said, you know what? Don't sleep on Jackass forever. I think I think that's got a better than average shot. And then, in the week leading up to this movie's release, Mark said, boy, Moonfall sounds like it's terrible. I'm revising my, my new revised pr- picks. I give you credit for this. You said Spider-Man will retain, again, Jackass, and then Moonfall. So you correctly predicted Moonfall's third spot. But uh, one of the rare occasions when I go out on a little bit of a limb, make a prediction, and it comes true, I said Jackass was probably going to take this one. So I'm not going to break my arm patting myself on the back or anything, but... I, I I do want to give myself just a little bit of kudos for this one. Okay. Well, Robert, I I too want to give you kudos for being right when you are right. Congratulations. You Thank were you. right this one time. <laughs> That's yeah, now part of the soundboard. Yeah, I was hoping you'd just taken the clip of me saying I think Jackass will win from two weeks ago. 
you know what? I almost used the clip of Peter from Family Guy pulling the, uh, you know, Lois finally tells him that he was right for once. And so he actually has a banner and a clown and the clown falls and it's dead. <laughs> I was going to well, use well, that. Better than the time he tried to be jackass and got in a shopping cart on the roof of his house. <laughs> Quiet, Lois. We're trying to be jackass. All right. Shut up, Lois. We're being jackass. Okay. Do I use that, or cold? As for the money. <laughs> Heat now, cold later. All right. So... For the weekend of February 4th through the 6th, yeah, Jackass was the number one movie uh, with a $23 million gross for Paramount Pictures. So, you know, we make fun of Paramount for, for being just the worst, but they made some, they, they made some good decisions here. I feel like Paramount is trying to retire Tom Cruise. So they just keep pushing back his projects. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to get too. I don't want to already go off on a tangent about that. But I, I start trying to explain to Bailey earlier why pushing Mission Impossible now two or three years delayed uh, into next year is probably that that there's no way that movie makes a profit. Um, I don't not entirely sure I know what they're doing here, but whatever, it's their problem. But in this particular case, moving it out of a very crowded October into a very shallow February, especially as everything else in Q1 ran for the hills. Uh, you know, it, it took advantage of an advantageous position and it was the number one movie of the weekend. So good on Johnny Knoxville and the people at Paramount. And oh, Moonfall Studios. did. Moonfall did, man. Okay. I looked at the projections from Saturday and <clears throat> okay. I think, and the real numbers had, Mo I think the projections had Spider-Man holding on to second, but the real numbers uh, okay. had Moonfall taking it down. Yeah. Moonfall debuted at number two, but for a $150 million movie to make less than 10 million, less. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. on its, uh, on its opening weekend, you know, this is an un, this is an unmitigated disaster for Lions. Even Gate. even China cannot save this one. <laughs> it would it would have to be the Battle of Lake Changjing for it to <laughs> for it to be saved by China. Uh, Spider Man No Way Home fell from number one to number three, uh, and is I think I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's working on being one of the most successful pictures of all time. Yeah, uh, it's, modern pictures. It, it's still doing good. Scream fell from two to four. Sing three to five. The King's Man. Five to six, which I think is now on Hulu. Uh, Re Redeeming Love, which nobody saw, fell from four to seven. American Underdog, currently PVOD, which we'll be reviewing actually this Sunday after the Super Bowl. Um, Timely. So it fell from seven to eight. The 355, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, Boy, is now, which is now PVOD, by the way. We have, we have talked about a lot of bombs so far <laughs> this year. A few, it's January. Um, Three five five fell from yeah well it's basically it's an extended January three five five fell from six to nine licorice pizza went up a little bit um but it fell it, from ten to nine licorice pizza is going to get a little bit wider release now that it's got some uh, Oscar mm -hmm. noms under its belt uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife even though it's Pivot went back in theaters again and that went from eight Good to twelve for it. West Side Story ten to thirteen House of Gucci twelve to fourteen and Kanto uh, seventeen to fifteen Nightmare Alley currently on Hulu and Disney Plus I think. No, HBO Max, sorry. It's on Hulu and HBO Max. 11 to 16, Belfast, currently nominated for a Best Picture and more likely to, likely to win it. I think, Alexis it and I, I think it's the odds-on favorite, isn't it? Yeah. Alexis and I reviewed it last week in place of doing Damn You, Hollywood. Parallel Mothers, another uh, Oscar-nominated movie, Best Actress for Penelope, Penelope Cruz, uh, came in at number 18 for the second week in a row. The Matrix, Resurrections, 16 to 19, and then The Worst Person in the World debuted at number 20. Polystyrene. I really wish I'd known that I was debuting this week. <laughs> Shut up. Um, Polystyrene <laughs> debuted at number 36, Breaking Bed 37, Lingui 
38, and that is the weekend that was. Um, worldwide, here's where we stand for 2022. First, let me go back a second. 2021, just to kind of keep tabs on Spider-Man real quick. Spider-Man's currently at $1,776,000,000. The question on everybody's mind is, do you think it breaks $2 billion before they finally... Uh, I mean, it's about to get yanked out of theaters. So, I'm, you know, it doesn't have that much more time it, left. But. Here, here's the only question. Here's the only question that matters related to that. Mm -hmm. Has it been released in China yet? Um, I would have to look. Give me a second. Well, I, I, that's the only question, because if it has, well, we're, it's probably about where it's, I think it'll probably fall just short. If it hasn't, then it easily crosses. Um, hang on. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home. There we go. Uh, releasing. Uh, yeah, okay, here we go. Um, okay, no release date. Though as of December 21st, there is no release date in part uh, because of diplomatic tension between China and the United States, including the planned U.S. diplomatic boycott of the 2020, 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, which did not go through. We oh. are in fact, we are in fact currently at the Olympics. Oh, okay. Well, that's what the Wikipedia thing here says. Um, now I'm curious. I wonder if there's anything on this in um, uh, in Box Office Mojo uh, markets. See, that's where I should have checked first. Would Damn, help if I actually looked in Asia. Asian, <laughs> Asian Pacific. <laughs> Uh, so not yet. No, not yet. Okay. Assuming it gets released in China, which is not a gim which is not a guarantee, but my hunch is that it probably will. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything I don't think there's anything in that movie that will unless the overarching uh, like tensions between Disney and China are really bad, it'll probably get there at some point. When it does, it'll make enough to cross the 2 billion mark. Okay. If it doesn't if it doesn't release into China at all, no, it probably falls, you know, 1.9 to 1.8. All right. Uh, where we are worldwide, Scream still currently kicking butt. It's the number one movie in the world right now uh, for 2022 at 120 million. Watergate Bridge, 105. Jackass Forever, 30 million. The 355, 24. Moonfall, 11. Redeeming Love, 8. The Policeman's Lineage, 5. I don't even know what that is. Just, you um, can just stop there. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get much better. No, no, um, no, no, no. Wait, I take it back. You have to try to pronounce number 10. Super Eros Malegre Louis. Uh, I find that if I just say things with an accent, it makes it sound like I'm, I'm reading it correctly. <laughs> Wrong accent, but okay. Um, all right. So real quick, uh, February 11th, this weekend coming up. Um you have Marry Me, which is the big wide release, but that's going to be day and date. So I'm sure that's not going to do great. Did you stop sharing the screen intentionally? Yes, uh, because I was going to move on to the Roland Emmerich thing, but I forgot to do this part. Its other competition is Blacklight, which I'm starting to see trailers for now, though I don't think anyone's going to see it. Uh, and then Death on the Nile, which is the big Fox slash Disney feature, uh, which we are not reviewing, but I, I have someone did contact me outside of the usual group of people I review, review movies with and is interested in seeing this. So we there may be a Death on the Nile review. D depends on if this woman can get her act together and we actually get it done. But it won't be for another week or two. Anyway, okay. um, 
that's what's i mean you didn't have any interest in that's why it's not on the schedule um that, that i can recall. No, I, uh it's not on the schedule i kind of figure that's because you don't care about it i don't really care about it but if again if that changes then let me know i'm happy to I don't object to its existence or anything. I'm sure I can find Murder on the Orient Express on some streaming service and catch up on this version of Hercule Poirot. (laughs) Okay. So those are the big three wide releases in contention. I'm sure it's going to end. I would imagine Death on the Nile wins just because who's going to go to the theater to see Marry Me if you can see it at home. Um, the The following week, the big one is Uncharted. That'll also be joined by Dog, which my son wants to see, but I don't see a lot of people. Why does your does your son just? Lo- I mean, I assume it's just because he likes dogs. That's the that's the answer. Um, uh, now, Uncharted is t- Uncharted should take that weekend. Yeah, by a large margin. Um, it's Sony. It's got no serious competition. It's a big action movie. It's got Tom Holland. It's based on a video game. It's it's you know these I'm are all little- things that work in its favor. I'm a little bit curious about the decision to try and turn this into a into a movie because the story of Uncharted is so thoroughly told in its four games and they're wonderful games. But um, I'm down for I'm partially down for the prequel. All right, Partial and then Mark Wahlberg. Who February twenty fifth. Really we we will eventually get to Studio Six Six Six. I can't see it that weekend, so I'm just going to wait for it to come on PVOD, and then Sean and I are going to review it with uh, a couple of other movies of that ilk. But we are not going to be doing a damn you Hollywood on it just because I don't have the time to to get this done. Um, but that's that in Cyrano's in limited release that weekend, and eventually it'll be in wide release at some but, point. At some point. Um, but then the big one is the Batman, and that's looking to make a billion dollars at this point. So we'll see. Uh, but that is that is the worldwide calendar at this point. All of that to say that anything that came out this weekend will not be the number one movie next weekend for sure. Um, I want to talk about this before we leave the money. I have an article here from Deadline. Roland Emmerich slants superhero and Star Wars films. It's ruining our industry a little bit. So you and it I talked, talked, talked a little bit about this. Um, so sometimes our internet discourse, <laughs> our internet discourse is a little bit more um, volatile than our, our <laughs> podcast discourse. Well, especially, it, especially if that happens to take place on Twitter, where we're trying to hash out things in you know 140 characters or some yeah. such. So things sometimes get misinterpreted. So in any case, um, I thought just because, like, and we talked about this offline, this keeps happening where some director is out there hawking his movie, and some and some you know reporter who's also an idiot uh inevitably asked the question so when yeah. are you gonna why don't you work for marvel when do yeah you, what do you think about superhero yeah some derivation of that right you, you know you it's brain dead uh, idiots trying uh, to you're trying to elicit this response right well, you understand this well that's the thing you know and um mike from red letter media the half in the bag one of the half in the bag guys brought this up when they were talking about solo and you know somebody asked the, the guy that played lando calrissian in that a stupid question you know he, they asked him a question, do you think Lando's gay or something like that? And he answered in like the, the most crowd-pleasing way he possibly could because he doesn't want to offend anybody. He wants to continue being you know, an actor who gets gigs in Hollywood. And then no one cared what else he had to say about Solo or anything else he had to say. It was... I can't remember the actor's name. Um, Donald, Donald Glover. Donald, Glo- Donald Glover says Lando Calrissian is pansexual. Boy, did that make Twitter for, for a whole day. And it was everywhere and it was all anyone talked about. And it was like, they do that for that reason is they can take 
an innocuous quote that somebody says and make that the headline and then people click on it. This pattern repeats itself with people talking about, you know, an entire, we, 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 talk, we talked about this earlier, with an entire um, article where you're interviewing Martin Scorsese about whatever his new project is. And then they sneak in there the thing about Marvel and he goes, look, I hate comic book movies. Nothing else Martin Scorsese says mattered after that. It was Martin Scorsese hates Marvel movies. That was the headline. And then there was a Twitter backlash. Kill Martin Scorsese because he hates Marvel movies. And then other directors, the lesson they got from that was, oh, well, if I just wait for one of these idiots to ask me the stupid Marvel question, all I have to say is blah, blah, yakety schmackety Marvel. And everyone will pay attention to me, too. And so now everyone's doing it. Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, now Roland Emmerich, and just after him, fucking Steven Soderbergh, whose movie we're going to talk about next week uh, that comes out this week on streaming, who said something. He had a really great line. I don't want to direct a Marvel movie. Nobody has any sex right after there's a Marvel movie where people are having sex on the beach. You know what? I'm not <laughs> even going to call that a sex scene. <laughs> well... It was, and he's an idiot. But like that, you know, again, it's just everyone rushing to the lowest common denominator in order to get attention. The press people do it to get attention on their stupid clickbait articles. The directors are doing it because no, otherwise no one will go watch their movies. But anyway, here's what Roland Emmerich specifically had to say. Um, and I thought it would be a good, it a good thing to talk about and really parse it out because, of course, everyone just focuses on the one line and not the context. Yeah. Moonfall director Roland Emmerich thinks superhero and Star Wars films are ru ruining the industry. He is among the many actors and directors that have lambasted the state of movie business because these types of movies exist. He sat down with Den of Geek, that vaunted, <laughs> that vaunted uh, you know, purveyor I, of journalism. If look, if I'd known he was going to talk to Den of Geek, I would have put in a request for an interview. <laughs> <laughs> While talking about his newest disaster film, he mentions, because naturally... Naturally, Robert Winfrey, don't you understand? Marvel and DC Comics and Star Wars have pretty much taken over. He says, he said, it's ruining our industry a little bit because nobody does anything original anymore. Emmerich claims to be all about originality and believes that Christopher Nolan is making bold choices when it comes to filmmaking. You should make bold That's true. I mean, he's not wrong. He's just not the guy that he, he is, as I well, said on Twitter, he should not be throwing the stones. This is not the guy carrying the water for this argument. No, no, I, I appreciate the fact that he didn't say I'm the one doing this, but he called it, but he specifically cited a director that. Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue that Christopher Nolan's one of the best, you know, more innovative directors out there, even if people don't, even if you don't like his movies. Um, and believe me, not everyone loved Tenet. You should make bold new movies, you know, and I think actually Christopher Nolan is the master of that. He is someone who can make movies about whatever he wants, he said. I have a, I have it a little bit harder, but I still have a big enough name, especially when it's a disaster or Not some no more, sort of don't. disaster theme. <laughs> He's made quite a name for himself directing big budget films like Independence Day and its sequel Resurgence, The Day of Tomorrow, 2012, 10,000 BC. Moonfall is the latest venture. Okay. Da, 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 da. So that doesn't give you a tremendous amount of context there. Um and it so doesn't really give you makes me wonder what the inciting question was right well i'm going to read the quote again because this is the, this is what everyone's going crazy about because of course there was a twitter backlash to this because god forbid we yeah. attacked the religion that is marvel because naturally you know, somehow just by the by the way related to that point mm -hmm. somehow on twitter like you shared uh, the rotten tomato score for the critics mm -hmm. and you and you had kind of mentioned uh, you know, Roland Emmerich really shouldn't be sh 
throwing stones from his glass house, which yeah. I don't disagree with. My comment was, and I have something about this for later when we get to the critical review. I just said, you know, if critics were honest with themselves, this is probably about what Eternals would have scored. And some random jackass. <laughs> no idea who this person is. L- no idea. T- replies to me, and therefore to you, with something like, boy, you guys really out here lying on this app, huh? Like, one, it's Twitter. You I, yeah, moron. I didn't understand what, like, sometimes people, like, will say stuff in a, in a colloquial way, and I'm like, I don't understand what it is you're saying, and I speak jive, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Stewardess, I speak jive. <laughs> I, uh, one, it's Twitter. So you're going to interpret things the way you want to interpret them no matter what. Two, yeah, everybody lies on Twitter. That's all that stupid thing is good for. Three, what part of my sentiment were you taking issue with? (laughs) Were you taking issue with the fact that, uh, what, like the critics aren't honest with themselves or their audiences or that the Eternals shouldn't have received as much backlash? Now, I didn't respond to this person because one of my rules on Twitter is never respond to anyone who has a flag in their Twitter handle. I don't care what the flag is, whether that's sexual orientation or a nation, does not matter. You put that in there, I know you're not worth time. He says <laughs> this interaction will go poorly for all of us. Because naturally Marvel and DC and Star Wars have pretty much taken over. It's ruining our industry a little bit because nobody does anything original anymore. Okay. So first of all, nobody does anything original. That's <laughs> that is I, I want to make this point because it's a very, very specific point. I told I told you I was going to do this beforehand, but then I'll yeah. cede the floor to you. The studios are in this to make money. But budgets over the past 20 years have ballooned out of control. They really have. Funding for movie is harder than ever. But now there's also the most distribution to the most people ever on planet Earth in the history of mankind. So they are at a point where they need to fill the distribution lanes with as much crap as possible, but it has to be on that related to that note. We're getting a cheaper by the dozen remake everybody just (laughs) in case you missed that particular. So they're in this position of they're having to fill up all of these streaming services. Plus they have commitments to theaters and these things have to make money or garner, you know, or garner clicks and interest. And if you're a studio executive, again, you went to business school, you're not film school, you're talking, you know, you are a bean counter. You are somebody who's in the business of selecting projects that are going to make the studio money. Yes. And, and when there's so much money at play, when there's hundreds of millions of dollars per project, you're going to take things that are familiar and have a greater chance of success because of their familiarity than you are with a with a completely new and original, quote, new and original idea or project. But that's not limited to Marvel, DC, and Star Wars. I understand he was probably being colloquial when he said that, you know. But you know, look at what we've had already, and look at the success it was. So we had the fifth of a, of a series of movies that probably shouldn't have gone past two in Scream, and it was a you know for the kind of movie that it was, it was a wild success. Last year was an, almost across the board, with the exception of Spider Man was an abysmal failure for box office. Uh, now, a lot of that has to do with COVID, but in a lot of it has to do with a lot of movies went day and date because of COVID. So, but if you look at the one movie besides Spider-Man that actually made money compared to you know its budget, it was The Conjuring, which was, by the way, day and date. 
So, I mean, when we went all over all that, when we talked, when we did the money segment of the matrix, where so many of these movies of the past year, unless it had a significantly low budget did not do well. And if you're green lighting projects now, especially in the aftermath of everything that's happened in the past few years, you're not taking chances on a, on a, on a Roland Emmerich original thing because it's hard to get people to leave their house to see something they're not familiar with, especially when they know what's going to be PVOD within a month, as a lot of these things are. For God's sakes, the Adams Family 2 cartoon was PVOD the same day. A lot of the, you know, the, the Oscar nominations, as we're recording this, the Oscar nominations came out today. Do you know how many of those were PVOD within a week of their release? I imagine seven or eight of the ten. Yeah. And then the rest of them were just, I think uh, Netflix has the most, they said that Netflix has the most Oscar nominations of any movie. Netflix. Okay. So when, when hey, you, you make quality film. Well, more than that, when you've now raised an entire population of moving of movie-going people on the idea of I'll just watch it at home, and it's only the event pictures like Spider-Man and Batman that get people to leave the house, assuming they're in the theater exclusively, I'm not blaming the content creators for filling the need asked of them by studio executives. And Roland Emmerich can go sit on it and spin. I mean, you've you've... I'm sorry that your name doesn't carry the value that it used to. You don't make pictures as good as they as good as you used to make them. And even in, at the height of your powers, your pictures weren't that good. They were just a lot more fun and they were novel in their time. But you don't get to sit there and point the finger at Kevin Feige or Lucasfilm or the morons, the, you know, the functional <laughs> retards at Warner Brothers. The, the drunken <laughs> chimpanzee with the blindfold and the yeah, you know, the business dog that runs Warner Brothers. And say it's your fault. It's not. If you want to blame somebody for the state of film right now, if you, Robert Winfrey, you know, and we, we talked about this when we, when we looked at Nomadland and uh, The Father and Mank, if you want to really blame people for the state of film, you have to blame the audience. The audience decided most movies are not worth going to the theater for unless it's Spider-Man. That's what happened here. That's not the fault of Marvel Studios. That's not the fault of DC. That's not the fault of Lucasfilm. That is the fault of all of us who collectively decided, meh, maybe I'll just wait for it to come on Netflix. And Netflix going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait for it to come on Netflix. And here's more crap while you're waiting. And everyone going, I'm fine with this model. Sorry, your your argument doesn't hold water. I get off my soapbox now. Here's, here's part of the problem with this. And... Any, hang on, any major problem with what I just said? No. Uh, I, I take a minor issue with the notion that the audience is is uniquely to blame for the, like the uh, the collectiveness of that. And there's a variety. There's a, and I don't want to try and dissect that because there's so many variables. I some think of what you can ignore it though. You can't. I'm not. I, no, no, no. It. Like I, I'm not ignoring the. I'm not ignoring the reality of where we live. Of I'm not ignoring the reality around us. I am saying that pretending that I shouldn't say pretending exacerbating the audience reaction here and making that the primary uh, impetus for the direction things have gone is I think a little misguided. It's a giant part of it to be sure. Let me jump in with something. Do you remember the argument that we had do you remember the argument that we had about this time a year ago where um, everyone left the chat 
and it was just me and you. And I said, here's the game. Um, we were having a discussion of what original movie was profitable in whatever year we looked at. And I think we looked at 2019. Do you remember that conversation? Vaguely, yeah. Do you remember what what did we come up with? Because we did we found a few. Oh, I'd have to double check. And was it 2019? Was that the year that we looked at? Um, it was either it was either 2019 or we did it in 2019 and we're looking at 18, one of those okay. two. Um, I, well, I feel like it was I feel like we, we had this conversation in 2020 or 2021 because. Oh, yeah, because it led to the Nomadland podcast, because you were this was when you were in your every, you know, everything. that This was in your woe is me. The theater uh, experience has fallen to pieces mode. And you were your argument essentially was everything is either a sequel or a remake or an established IP. Nothing's original. And I went bullshit. There's, there's plenty of original material out there that and does make some money. They're just not Marvel budgets. They're not $200 million movies. And well, we actually I, went through the list one by we, one, annoying everybody did. in the chat while we did. <laughs> oh, we, we did. Uh, I, the, I think the crux of what we came to out of that was we, we actually, ironically enough, met in the middle mm -hmm. where I kind of went, yeah, all right, fair enough. I'm I am personal I was personally discounting a segment of the limited release theatrical stuff that I never get to see in the theater because it never releases around me. Mm -hmm. And you looked at the wasteland that was the previous <laughs> box office and went, Wow, it's worse <laughs> than I thought. <laughs> I think I, I, I remember this I remember this interaction specifically. We were going month by month. Yeah. And you got to Avengers Endgame, and I just posted the J. Jonah Jameson laughing gif. <laughs> right, right. Because, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's, uh, so the, the point I wanted to make there is, the audience is certain, if the audience demands it, the market must react to it. That's kind of what the play, that's kind of what the market does. I think it's a bit, I think it lets off the hook too easily entities and individuals who are in a position to exert a degree of influence over this. And mm -hmm. now, now at this point, bear in mind, in 2022, we may have passed the tipping point, right? I, I, I freely admit this. I'm not saying that it, now any one or any single studio even could really have a meaningful impact on this. But if we flash back to 2016, I think that was the point at something like that. That was kind of the point at which there was still enough uh, control might be the right way to put it. Like there were enough controlling interests in enough diff disparate locations that maybe you could have mounted a significant, it would have to be a deliberate concerted effort to uh, be a little bit counter to this kind of wave of momentum. And instead, everyone just decided, hey, let's all try to make our own MCUs. And then five years later, Disney owns every other movie studio, basically. <laughs> I think the other thing to consider in de in slight defense of Roland Emmerich's point is that when he says, you know, Marvel, DC and Star Wars, he may not mean specifically them, but just the whole idea of established IP. So, like, you know, he's basically saying, oh, he doesn't know how to say in a you know in an interview with a reporter where he's got to make it snappy and get to a point real quick talking like, to talking to the vaunted uh den, den of geek. geek yeah who i'm sure sent the best and brightest possible sure 
I'm sure, they, I, I'm sure they sent Ke Kevin Carr, a fat guy at the movies. Um. <laughs> Before we even get to that segment. You <laughs> but my point is, like, he may have just met, like, pre-established, well-known yeah. IP. I, I, but I, I want to tell you how many comic book movies get made in a year that don't do well. Like, th think back to a couple of years ago, and I know well, this because someone and I can talk about it later. Like, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets, or whatever the hell it's called, Hang was, was based on, like, a popular French comic. Not, and that movie bound, bombed spectacularly. Not popular. Here's the problem. Not very, Here's the problem. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely mean this when it comes to this part of the argument. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes the time to parse out comic book IPs. Mm -hmm. Because it's one thing to say X was based on a comic book and did poorly. Right. Sure. Old is technically based on a comic book. You mentioned Valerian, technically based on a comic book. Anybody care? <laughs> like saying it's based on a comic book is a little bit like saying it's based on a novel. Right. It, it, it's not wrong, but based on old and based on Spider-Man One right. More Day, these are not equal. <laughs> right. This movie coming up, Marry Me, is based on a webcomic. You know why I know that? Because I researched the movie. You, know, you want to know how many other people are aware that this comic book even exists? You now and one other person. Whoever's listening to this <laughs> podcast. Right. Yeah, so that... I, I think that's kind of my gripe with the, if the counter argument is, but there's this laundry list of comic book IP that failed when it was adapted. And I go, okay, who was the publisher? Who was the writer? Right. Like you, you don't get to say comic book movies aren't taking over because the, the one, the adaptations based on the niche entries into this friend, into this wide, wide genre failed. There's That's a great Wikipedia page that I tend to follow. Uh, I, was, I was sharing this. I was sharing this with somebody else. It's uh, it was evident, as a matter of fact. There's an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to non-Marvel and non-DC movies that are uh, and just movies that are based on comic books. And so it's things like The Mask and Thirty Days of Night and Two Guns and well, uh, a history. Uh, technically, Marvel owns The Mask now. Okay. Um, a history of violence, road to perdition, and like you would never know that any of these were, were based on I comic knew, books, but they were. I knew a few of those, but most people wouldn't, is my point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, like, and, and there's varying you, degrees. Of, like, Monkey unless, Bone, for example, was based on a comic book. First of all, Brendan, no one's ever heard of the fucking comic book that Monkey Bone was based on, helped kill Brendan Fraser's career. Yeah, and then Monkey Bone itself failed. My point is, like, the blank. <sighs> It's a hip thing to say right now when you're when you're a disgruntled director, you know, no one goes to see. I feel like Roland Emmerich just couldn't say out loud. I hate people. I hate that. I can't. <laughs> I hate people because you won't go come see my movies because you'll only go see Spider-Man. But he couldn't say that because he actually needs people to come see his movie. So instead, he blames the studio. But that's, you know, it's like Chris Rock's joke about drugs. You know, people want to get high and they're going to and they're going to buy drugs. And it's like, yes, you can be mad at the drug dealer and you can do the, you know, the sort of cliched film thing of we got to get the drug dealers out of here, except that somebody will come up with something new. You know, ultimately, you have to deal with the desire of people. And, you know, yeah, we're people who do a podcast about movies and lots of them. So we're kind of steeped in all of this. But the average person, and I know I've said this in the past, they're not spending a lot of time thinking about this stuff. They're, they're into making beer, raising their children, 
going to work, you know, like, like movies are a passive interest for them. And so with only so many hours in a day and so little time to dedicate to this, yeah, they're going to see the most popular, most interesting thing that they can find out there, the thing that they recognize and gives them warm feels. And I'm sorry, you used to be able to do that, Roland Emmerich. I mean, you know, Independence Day was a cultural event. But I, it's, viv I still vividly remember when that movie but, came out. And I was a small child. Right. And then in the wake of Independence Day and its success, you had all these other movies that people go, let's go see the latest Roland Emmerich movie. Like you would say, let's go see the newest Martin Scorsese or the new Quentin Tarantino. But the landscape has changed to where people might still say, let's watch the new Roland Emmerich, but from the comfort of my own home. And sorry, you don't get to blame that one again on Kevin Feige. It's not his fault. So, eh, and, and, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Here's... I feel like I don't get a lot of opportunity to say the following, so I'm going to say it here because it's vague, because it's appropriate. And then we're going to move on. Yeah. Emmerich's critique of the cinematic landscape at the moment. You, whatever you think about him as a director, him as a person, whatever you you might get feel badly because you think he insulted something that you enjoy and. I mean, I'm happy to insult something that you enjoy, too, if you want to get mad at me. We fucking do it every week. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok <laughs> still sucks. Don't Take know what that, else. MCU's bleeding edge. <laughs> sure. I don't even know what that is, but sure. Yes, you do. Do I? Yes. Just move on. Okay. Uh, but his, his critique of the cinematic landscape is accurate, and... It's a rather startling thing, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, Mark, I'm fairly sure will remember this. Um, you know, a few years ago, when superhero movies were starting to really... Around the time of the second Avengers. Not the first one, but around the time of the second. So around okay. the end of Age of Ultron. Yep. When this was when the the juggernaut was still... was start, We started to realize how big the machine was, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything up to the first Avengers, it almost had a rebellious feel to it, right? Like we comic book fans and nerds, you know, we've been kicked on, we've been stepped on, we've dealt with bad adaptations, we've been looked down on, and we're we're the little guys fighting the good fight, right? That was there was an undercurrent of that to what was going on with those movies. Okay. Whether now whether that's accurate or not, again. Sure. Like, I'm, I'm not here to tell you one way or the other about that. But that was kind of the prevailing uh, fan feeling. By the time we get to Age of Ultron, we start to see the machine. We start to see that this is churning out five to six movies a year. More like four at that time. But, you know, you're getting one a quarter, give or take. And we're going to build to a big event and we're going to just do this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And this is the new model. This is the machinery turning. A lot of directors um, who were not part of that machine, when asked about it, had something along the following to say. You know, the modern superhero movie is more like the Western of the 50s. And... What they meant was it was the first of all, there's the notion that Westerns were made disproportionately amongst the 
period of time, like this period between like the fifties and the, you know, the forties, fifties, a little bit into the sixties. Uh, and that they had their big kind of fad and then, uh, you know, fell a little bit out of favor and the next thing came along. And this is a deeply flawed comparison. Um, even at the height of how many picture, how many Western films were made, um, there were not as many as there are superhero movies today. And they certainly did not account for the same box office domination that this modern superhero movie does. And the profits from those movies were distributed between like eight different studios. You know who makes money off of the modern superhero film, Mark? Who, Robert? The mouse. <laughs> That's kind of it. Yeah. Sony gets to piggyback on their success once in a while. Warner Brothers, God bless them, is a dumpster fire. And what other, what other studio makes money off of comic book movies? None, because um, there, there is if no you... comic book IP that I'm aware of that uh, NBC, Comcast, Universal, Pornhub uh, is successful if you want... with. If you want to go back in time, and like depending on how far along we want to calculate the data, there's a period of time when Fox Studios has a small chunk of the pie with the X-Men franchise. Right, but that's gone now. Yes, it is. So right now, yeah, so really it's it's two-man race between Disney and... and it's, uh, it's not Warner a race. Brothers. This right. is not a race. So if you want to be worried about this kind of... And, and look, I'm not saying... This is not me assigning blame, Okay. But if you're a little bit like me and you want to kind of read the tea leaves on this and you want to be concerned, and I do, the problem is not that superhero movies are getting made. The problem is not even that... Uh, su the problem is primarily the following things. One, how many are made. Two... The disproportionate dominance at the box office. Hey, Mark, what was the second highest grossing American film? Uh, American, I say, not Chinese film from twenty from 2021? Uh, no Time to Die, wasn't it? And how much money did that lose? It's not really a fair comparison. I mean, the best right. year to... You want to fair have enough. that conversation the year... Okay, let, okay. tell you what. Let's bounce, back to, let's bounce back to 2019. Okay. You keep what, rattling what, on and I'll find it for you. What was the highest grossing non-superhero movie of 2019 and where did it fall in the top 10 for the box office? Okay. Um, non, you said non-superhero or non-previously established IP? Let's go non-previously established IP for the sake of okay. argument. What was the highest domestic earner that was entirely novel and independent? Yeah? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I'm out of the top 10. Okay, t tell you what. Hang on. L let's back up. <laughs> let's back up just a hair. Yeah. What percentage of the total worldwide box office for 2019 was superhero films? All right. So Avengers, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Joker. Those were all in the top 10. 
how much did the so if you look at the top 10 how much did those make just round for me dollars uh, again do rounding rather than specifics necessarily all right so end your end game rounding up made three billion sure spider-man made uh 1.2 captain marvel 1.2 joker one so we're at five we're at roughly five billion ish uh closer to six <clears throat> okay yeah sorry okay so if i were to hazard a guess mm-hmm Six billion dollars represents somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty to forty percent of the total box office worldwide take for the year of twenty nineteen. If we just aggr- if we just take how much money was spent at the theater. And if we want to and if we expand this list just a little bit to include all of the Disney live action remakes and whatnot. To say nothing of Star Wars. I was going to say, if I don't, if, if we're just talking domestic releases, I think you get to number 23 with 1917 before you find an original uh, domestic movie. Okay. So, so I, so the, so the one movie, the, so I, just to be clear, it was the 23rd highest earner of the entire year, 2019, a period piece with a gimmick and it made $384 million. And that's the best we can do because here's everything after it. Godzilla, Alita. <laughs> I don't know what the captain is, but I'm pretty sure it's either like a limited thing or a foreign movie. Secret Life of Pets 2, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, It Chapter 2, Maleficent Mistress of Evil, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw, Jumanji, Aladdin, Toy Story, Star Wars, Joker, Captain Marvel, Spider-Man, Frozen 2, Lion King, and Endgame. That's fucking sad, dude. <laughs> And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the problem. The problem is not that these movies exist. The problem is not that they're good. The problem is not that you like them. The problem is one company represents a disproportionate amount of the marketplace, reaps a disproportionate amount of the rewards, and now everyone's desperate to try and play catch up. They're doing it badly but they're all trying to do it by doing the same thing, which results in a stagnant, homogenized, uncreative mess of reheated soup. And so that's, to... and, and again, that's the problem. Right. Not people make superhero movies or the Avengers made a billion dollars. And, and that is, the if Avengers you, if can you... make $3 billion. <laughs> The if problem you read into is, what Roland Emmerich is, is saying, that's his argument, is that it's yeah. very hard to get it's very hard to get something made now unless you can prove its financial success well ahead of time, which is not easy to do. Uh, even, when the evidence when all the evidence suggests that nothing outside of a pre-established IP makes any money, and many of them don't. And again, we're coming off of a year when two of the three Three of the four, correct my, correct myself, three of the four Marvel releases of 2021 did not do well. Here's the thing. I, I'm gonna this is gonna be the last thing, and then I'm 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 hitting the button. Yeah. I wonder if the lesson that a lot of these guys are starting to learn, maybe a little too late, but I'm like, I'm wondering if a Roland Emmerich who's like, I want to get my big disaster movie made and I want it on the big screen because it's a big event picture, and he's just learned very, very hard 
lesson that it's not, not in the current environment. But The Rock got his movie made. His very expensive $200 million stupidity on wheels got made. And Which that one? got on Red Notice. And that got on and that uh, got on Netflix and was deemed to be a wild success because everybody on earth watched it in its opening weekend on Netflix. The Power of the Dog got the most Oscar nominations of any other movie put out in the last year, also on Netflix. Um, and so the point is, I'm wondering if guys like Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson, Steven Soderbergh, who's mind you, his movie coming out in two days went straight to streaming i pleased with the whining guys um hang on in fairness to soderbergh his complaint was not that theaters are dying Mm -hmm. his complaint was i I can't make a marvel movie not enough fucking (laughs) essentially what he said i think what his complaint boiled down to more was the the there are too many restrictions in place if you try to make a marvel movie yeah to actually make a movie that is anything other than homogenized disposable content yeah. that that's all and look that's what a lot of marvel has become mm-hmm. and i i think this no some red... people will tell you that it's the height of cinema oh, shut up <laughs> anyway you people hang on you people shut up you're idiots <laughs> So the point that I was trying to get to, and then I'm going to hit the button. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't do an anti-streaming thing, kind of the way that uh, Scorsese was accused of doing. It's yeah. So his thing was just, you know, you, I'd like to make a Marvel movie, but it would have to be my movie first. Yeah. And Marvel's not going to let that fly. Nope. And just whether Edgar, Edgar right. I'm shocked uh, they let Chloe Zhao do as much as she did. I and know. I don't just mean the sex scene. I mean Chloe's Chloe Zhao is not Edgar Wright. Let's 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 keep that straight. Anyway, yeah, the point is, a... oh, I almost said so. no. <laughs> I di- I didn't. I almost so, did. I'm wondering if that the lesson that he takes from all of this is maybe I should just start taking my movies to to Netflix or you know to you know go go in and as part of my pitch to get this thing made is I'm making this for your streaming service. So, you know, you know I, I, like maybe Disney, you know, maybe next time he goes to Disney and Disney says, are you planning on putting this in theaters? Oh, hell no. I want this to go on Hulu. And they go, here's $200 million. Knock yourself out. I I didn't get to mention this when we reviewed the movie. Um, I think it'll fit here just as well, though, uh, very briefly. I wondered why he chose to end this movie the way he did. And I thought about it for a while. And I have come to a conclusion about this. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I don't know that this is true, but I have a hunch. Roland Emmerich really wants to make a Star Wars movie, and I don't mean a I don't mean like for Lucasfilm. I mean he wants to do a big epic space opera, and he keeps trying to set it up. Like, look at how Independence Day's sequel. Yeah, that's ended. actually a really good point. And I think he maybe wanted to do he wanted to do the big space battles, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can see kind of and and it didn't happen because that movie bombed horribly and sucked out loud. And and so did all this one. But that, but I I'm, I was going along with this movie for a while. And then it takes this really weird left turn. <laughs> and then it gets to the ending and it just kind of went. You so badly want to do. Again, a, 
I say Star Wars, and I know that's not necessarily accurate, but, but you all I, you're will more get right what than I mean. you're more right than you realize because when you think about what Star Wars did, you know what Lucas did with Star Wars was he had this big unwieldy project that he wanted to make, and he was like, and even he realized this is too much. No studio is going to go for this, you know, this Game of Thrones esque world I've created. So why don't I just take the middle part? And I'll rework it so that it has a natural beginning and a natural end to it. And I'll just make that. And, and I'll leave out all this other, you know, context and backstory. And that became the 77 Star Wars movie after some careful editing. And I think... Dude, this does not get talked about enough when it comes to that movie. <laughs> Lucas's ex-wife is responsible for, entirely for why that movie is as, as successful as it is. Because she saved it via editing. Absolutely. So I, I think Roland Emmerich needs to sit down with his with his two writing partners and just <laughs> write the middle chapter of the space opera that he has percolating in his brain. And then he needs to take it to pitch meetings and he needs and the first word out of his mouth goes, I'm doing this for your streaming service. And and then they I don't you and I joked about this even I think before we turned the camera on tonight about how when you know I brought up we brought up cheaper by the dozen which just got announced for its release date. And you went, but, but but for why? And I said, well, for streaming. And you went, oh. And then you and I said, let's find something in the public domain and then say, you know, and just go ask for funding for it because they'll make anything now if it's a pre-established IP. It's not a joke. Like you and I could, you and I could absolutely, if we had any free time, mm -hmm. we could find something that we could sell like that or an idea that we could maybe leave enough blanks to be filled by an IP that any studio might have spend a month and a half writing something out and then shop mm -hmm. it. And yep. some streaming service somewhere would buy it. Yeah. When, when you consider the amount of streaming services that are so desperate for content right now. All right. This is, this is now well-worn territory. So yeah. ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the quit the critical, <laughs> the critical review. Are you ready? No! I said, are you ready? No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The Critical Review is brought to you by Grammarly. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes, while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. Much Mark, like, my, ch much like many... my children, the audience gave this a 69, but the critics... Pfft, Yes. How many children have access to their parents' Rotten Tomatoes accounts <laughs> that went on to... Look, guys, I, I want... Know, the irony of you saying that is when we, is when we looked at the... Um, when we looked at the audience scores for Hotel Transylvania and Buck Wild and they were quite low, my son, like, threw a fit and he was like, clearly children aren't writing these things. Why are adults reviewing this movie? Which, it's, not, it's not meant for you. That thought was damn funny. Go ahead. Uh, so your your son is taking the position of Brie Larson. I take. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, look, guys. I tend. I try real hard not to insult people for what they like. 
I do not understand how someone could like this movie. That's all I'm going to say. Like, even if you, even if you're, I said, I like disaster flicks. I really do. I don't understand positive reviews of this movie. I genuinely do not understand them. And and the 39% of you professionals who decided to positively review this, you should, uh, there should be a public penance for this. <laughs> well, how, we're in get the, to that. <laughs> how in the world can you possibly give this movie a positive review? I don't understand. Whether Moonfall is so bad it's good or simply bad will depend on your tolerance for B-movie cheese, but either way, this no. is an Emmerich disaster thriller through and through. No, 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 no. Don't insult B-movie cheese by associating it with this. You are trying way too hard to justify something that you enjoyed. Shame on you. Of course, the Atl- of course, the <laughs> I damn it. <laughs> I was about like, well, the Atlantic, just because I because I know I'm that, gonna hate them. That rag, that useless rag. Davidson's of the Atlantic, top critic. If you're looking for a nice empty brain evening at the movies, Moonfall is the ticket to buy right now, or Jackass. But although Emmerich was the poet laureate of apocalypse block blockbusters in the 1990s and 2000s, the same old song has gotten wearier. No, look, when you say you have to be empty headed to enjoy this movie, I take that to mean the following. You have to sleep through part of it. If you are able to turn off, if you are able to successfully ignore 30%, 30 minutes or so or more of this thing's runtime, you might cobble together an enjoyable viewing experience. Rachel Wagner of rachelsreviews.net. Sometimes it is nice when Hollywood goes big, dumb spectacle, and that's what Moonfall does. That's all Marvel does at this point. How in the world are you sitting here? Go ahead and get pissed at me if you want. Most Marvel movies at this point are just big, dumb spectacle. How in the world is that a positive review for this thing when it's so incompetently made? You (laughs) bunch of idiots. You... How? How do you look at this and decide, you know what? It's been a while since I've seen a big spectacle feature. with you reese bowen jones of jump cut online this is roland emmerich at his most emmerich now moonfall is one of the most deranged blockbusters in recent years no i don't think it's one of the most deranged it's just boring i was gonna say deranged was malignant uh yeah (laughs) in a a good way like deranged can be engaging (laughs) listening to patrick wilson wax poetic as much as that plank of wood can and that's the character not the actor about the technical aspects of the mission and trying to rebond with Halle Berry over the lyrics to Toto's Africa is the antithesis of deranged you pathetic film critic so this is a splat I guess because of the score that she gave it but I want to read it anyway Nicola Austin of We Have a Hulk Buckle up, for a bu- <laughs> buckle up for a bumpy ride as Moonfall is one of the most bombastic and outlandish Emmerich disaster flicks yet. I-, I need to know how We Have a Hulk got on Rotten Tomatoes. Because they have a more sustained audience than we do? I guess. But how? Because they were grandfathered in? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Cat Hughes of Film Disclosure. Disengage the brain and Stop. let the madness no, no, work no, no, over no, no. you. Stop right there for just a second. Mm-hmm. I take serious umbrage with any bit of positive film review that includes the phrase, turn your brain off or any 
thesaurused up variation thereof. That's a terrible, terrible line of logic to try and defend a film. Shame on you for employing it. And shame on your employers for employing you. This is going to be the last one because I think this is going to be the one that has you just stroke out and pee your pants. No, no, Ready? this th- this will not be the last one because we both know you're going to find Kevin Carr. <laughs> well, now that you've challenged me, I Richard have. Richard Brody of the New Yorker, top critic. The best parts of Moonfall feel like a sharp, cogent reproach of the corporate stolidity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and other superhero franchise movies. The ridiculous proves occasionally sublime. The New Yorker, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I I can't even I almost can't even say anything about that because you miserable, terrible at your job. Waste of stem cells that could have gone towards at least research if not helped some other human being. Decided that this was the film where you're going to try and make an anti-corporate stance when you write for the New Yorker? Really? You miserable hypocrite. You know, I don't wish death on people the way you and many others in our chat do. But it, it is I, a good and, and, I and I don't necessarily want this woman to be hurt. But <laughs> <laughs> but should but should but. the cosmos work in such a way that she gets hit by a bus for what she's what I'm about to read? Uh I would mathematically understand. <laughs> okay. Perry Nemiroff of YouTube, top critic, and again, you you collider people are the bane of my existence. Not Moonfall, just yours. Moonfall is riddled with silliness and genre cliches, but the movie does benefit from its bonkers premise and how well John Bradley understood the assignment. Okay. You cannot say that and then not mention how everyone else utterly failed around him. Like we agreed she, on the she fact she so desperately wants to hang on to her YouTube clout though. She'll say anything. Yeah, that oh. that's that's I almost don't want to react beyond that because yeah. it, that's you desperately that that's that's the that is the blurb equivalent of a clickbait headline and I Yeah, she she's I a pop culture want... cheerleader and it's why it's like I can't get that excited but it's like come on man, please treat you know Please try to mask that what, you're a shill. Whatever happened to integrity? You know, Jill, just a little bit. Jill Shembry of Jill of Jim Jesus Christ. Jim Shembry of jimshembry.com. You're not here for the Chekhovian drama. <laughs> not here for your wit either. You that is an unhelpful review, sir. <laughs> uh, Did Kevin Carr miss this one? <laughs> Daniel Salzman of Salzy at the Movies, another one I like to pick on. This nerd that needs to take a flight down the stairs head first. Moonfall pulls wow. no... <laughs> Hold on. The last one you introduced. I don't like to wish harm on people the way you do. <laughs> this one, this guy needs to take a trip down the... Somebody throw this guy down a flight of stairs, preferably concrete. Moonfall pulls no punches in an epic thrill ride. There's no DVD box, sir. Please stop. Yeah, that's pathetic. And I mean that in the truest sense of the word. That is pathetic pandering. All right. I almost don't want to read this because I've had his partner on here uh, doing reviews with me, and I don't want to upset these people. 
So, so I'll let you do it. William Bibiani okay. of The Rap, top critic, also right. critically acclaimed. Complaining that a film like this is silly <clears throat> is like complaining your hot dog is cylindrical. You knew what you were buying when you forked over the cash, dang it. Okay, hang on. Which is a lot of what he said on the podcast as well. Now, now, let me be clear about his point as far as that. If that is your primary objection to this film, if you out there listening to this saw this and decided this is too stupid, I would submit to you that going to a movie about the moon crashing into the earth, you may not have fully understood what you were getting yourself into. This is always going to be stupid. If he's lashing out against the people who are making what he feels is a, is a criticism that they really should have been aware of as part of the, like, this is part of the buy-in. That's fair. My criticism of this movie is not that it's stupid. It's that it's boring, badly written, badly acted, badly scored, uninteresting, and there's degrees of stupid. But then there's also degrees of stupid that play into more or less what you think they should play into for a genre picture like this. And then there's, hey, by the way, the moon was an artificial construct created by ancient forefathers of humanity billions of years ago and then set adrift to escape their own rogue AI after trying to establish your story as a slightly, slightly more grounded tale with an emotional center about people trying to repair fractured families. You did not miss the left turn at Albuquerque, sir. You drove headfirst into the ocean. (laughs) Like Sonic the Hedgehog. I can't wait for Idris Elba to punch that thing in the face. Collier Jennings of But Why Though? A Geek Community. Can I just go ahead and say... And there are certain people who sometimes will do podcasts with us that are not here tonight to get offended by what I'm about to say. Say it. But for those of you in the geek community, for those of you who throw that about, you know, carry it, you know, this is your culture, this is your title, may all of you be run over with a tank. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sick of these nerds that got pushed down a flight of stairs and shoved into lockers who their, you know, their childhood crap has now become popular because it makes money and thinking that that somehow like gives them the right to be judgy of everyone else and gatekeeping of their own stuff. Please all of you go fuck yourselves. I hate that term geek culture. Now it has become, it has become just this ridiculous like we're we're so proud of ourselves that we like nerdy crap. Good for fucking you. No one my, cares. My dad collected stamps. Should we now parade him about the the neighborhood? I mean, I'm who sure cares? he appreciates that. There, you know, there's an entire collection of dads out there making their own beer. Should we celebrate them and throw them a parade and take their opinions seriously? Look, Look you I'm- nerds! Just because you like shit in high school doesn't mean your opinion matters for shit. <laughs> He says got on a that, podcast. Got that off your chest. I'm so tired of it. Just no, so no, no, tired no. of it. In, in fairness to your point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> in fairness to it. Mm. The 
counterculture, for want of a better expression, wave of geekdom that came into being as soon as as soon as people who had been exposed to all of those things gained a degree of success in areas where they could influence popular culture and it started seeping into those things more, the number of those people who decided that, first of all, too many of them way to marry their identity to that. Yeah. And it's a little bit disturbing. It's become cultish. And I think that's where my little bit, this, this little is bit. not, this is not an attack on people who like Marvel or like Star Wars. I like Marvel. I like Star Wars. My point I is, don't. I know you don't, <laughs> but you do Nerd. like stuff that is popular. Um, you like your Do horror I? movies. Yeah. You, you, there's this, there are geek <laughs> things you like. Shut up. I'm not um, saying, I'm not saying there aren't. I'm, you were on at least two or three different Star Trek podcasts because you like Star Trek. Don't no. nothing. Hold on. I was on those to help you fill out the content quota. I'm you not. You were a, on those am... because David asked you to. Yes. Um, that's what I was talking okay, about. Okay, no, no, yes. Because I chose to help someone have, I. But you saw I, the movies, you knew, and they weren't. It wasn't a hostage thing. You, you went of your own volition. Look, the point that I'm trying to get to is, it, it's kind of like the baby boomers. You know, there, there they are out there protesting. It's the '60s. It's the sexual revolution. They're trying to bring down, you know, the, the, the government man. and all of this other stuff. The man, and then they all went into politics and became Hillary Clinton. You people are the Hillary Clintons of geekdom. <laughs> You are not, you know what? <laughs> I'm stealing that at some point. That's good. <laughs> all right. And on that note, I think my wife just me. And you're all married to sexual assaulters. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. And I'm just, just let him do it. I can't even read the uh, the last one I was going to read here. Well, we're done with I, this. I can't. I, I apparently, YouTube doesn't like me to say the R word, or I would, because I don't have a problem using it. In well, my wife context. is now sending me Snapchat, so uh we we need to conclude but that but i think when i think when we've hit the point of saying the entire geek culture has become the hillary clinton of geekdom we're done with this podcast there's there is a serious subset of the geek culture that yes is that and on that note it's next week we're we going to be forward to offending you in the future <laughs> boy do we ever um, all right, so yeah, I'm gonna do "Marry Me" as a comic strip. Where Ronnie and I are gonna look at the the web book that it's based on, and then uh, we're gonna review the movie. You're gonna so try and. <laughs> Sorry, I just. That's how I'm spending my Valentine's Day with Ronnie Adams of the Screaming Boy Podcast. I I am more amused by the notion that you're gonna have to review a movie in 2022 starring Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez. Like that amuses me more than anything. So that's what we're gonna do Monday. So our damn you Hollywood uh, of the week is going to be two streaming movies, as I said, as we've been talking about for two hours. Uh, the first one is Big Bug, which is a French movie by the director of Amelie. So for those of you that are still awake, the other one is Kimmy uh, by Steve Sodenberg, uh, who did Sex, Lies and Videotapes. Where I fully anticipate a lot of naked Zoe Kravitz. I hope. Um, I'm just, clearly, there's <laughs> going to be no nudity in that movie, just so everyone <laughs> can relax. And then uh, the following week, speaking of geekdom, uh, Alexis Haina will be on for our Damn You Hollywood review of Uncharted. We are taking the following week off as um, I'm not. I actually have stuff I'm doing. But next week, the week of March 1st is all Batman all the time. So it's a lot of re-airs of old Batman stuff we did because Oof. we did shit tons of it. Uh, and then we're back for the actual Batman before I go on a week's vacation. When I come back on the 22nd of March, we're doing Operation Fortune. 
and then because I did not want to subject Robert to the new Sandra Bullock Channing Tatum movie. I and deeply st- appreciate you not making me say no to you. <laughs> instead we're gonna do the a24 feature because i love and respect robert and i want him to see independent films we're gonna we're gonna do everything everywhere all at once so that'll be fun look here's what you really didn't want me to do you didn't want to have to beg and then you didn't want to have to try and talk about that movie with me yeah well my family all wants to go see it so i'm probably going to end up seeing it anyway i may even end up talking about it but i I wasn't going to subject you you to it i absolutely weep for you and i am sure (laughs) that your wife and possibly your daughter will be amused by it oh i i my son too i'm sure they'll all think it's going to be a guess hang on i'm I'm warning you in advance your son (laughs) is probably going to walk out (laughs) <laughs> get in the car and drive home put some put some textbooks on his feet he, he will no no <laughs> he will go down to the theater arcade and wait and spend the last hour or so of the movie's runtime down there Just wandering in a circle like he does all right um anyway yesterday uh jason and i in our tribute to black history and black cinema started uh kicked, <laughs> <laughs> kicked things off with shaft 2000 and 2019 tomorrow one of those we're is not like the other. <laughs> Tomorrow we're reviewing Corn Requiem on Thursday. Alexis Haina and I are doing the Looney Tunes reviews, season four, and the their little Valentine's Day thing that they did. Ooh. And then it's back to me and Jason again as we do more tributes to black cinema throughout the years. Uh, this we're we're looking at the the age the the golden age of film, the seventies, and looking at some <laughs> truly remarkable uh, features. Just, all the just, of all the genuinely remarkable films that came out in the seventies, <laughs> the seven you joke about that being a golden era of cinema. I do have to point it's not out a joke that I'm being serious about. No, no, no. I know you're being serious, but just for the people out there, if you want to understand why some people might wax nostalgic about that period of time in the American cinematic landscape, Kramer versus Kramer didn't just win the Oscar for Best Picture. That was the top box office earner for that year. God, Kramer versus that... Kramer couldn't even get on a major streamer right now. <laughs> That's not true, and you know it. Uh, it could, it's true. It could get on Netflix. Clearly, it, Gay Cowboys got on there. So could uh, Kramer versus Kramer. Anyway, it so could absolutely the... get on there, and no one would watch it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the triple feature we'll be doing to celebrate Black Cinema of the Seventies is Coffee, starring Pam Greer, Superfly, and Blackula. <laughs> Do not, I know? Uh... Not, I'm shocked you didn't go for four just so you could throw in Eddie Murphy's A, uh, a Vampire in Brooklyn. That's next year. Um, really? And then Saturday, we have a re-airing of our body count uh, out, review from a few years ago. And then this is the last plug I'm going to do. Sunday night, right after the Super Bowl, myself, Jason Teasley, and possibly Jesse Starcher are going to be looking at national champions, uh, American underdog, and we are Marshall. Da, 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 da. All right, that's all for my plugs. You do your plugs, and then let's get out of here. All right, my plugs should be brief here. Everybody else I can get done in an hour. You and me, three hours every time. We have things to talk about. Mm. Uh, let's see. My usual spate of coverage is over at 411mania.com. I cover professional wrestling three days a week. AW's Dark Elevation on Mondays. MLW, they're going back to the Fusion brand, I believe, but MLW's thing on Thursday. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. This last SmackDown was so bad, it should be studied. 
uh, just total dumpster fire in most respects. This week, more of the same. I also covered last week UFC on ESPN plus 58. Not a great card, but not a bad one. Uh, some good. St- there were some highlights, to be sure. If you want to find them, you can just read my report instead of trying to comb through the broadcast of the individual fights. It's over in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. This week, my latest episode, the latest episode of AEW's Dark Elevation, this coming episode of MLW, coming episode of SmackDown, and UFC 271 on Saturday, headlined by the rematch between uh, UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya and former champion Robert Whitaker. I am pumped for that fight. I am crossing my fingers, man. If something happens to that fight, <laughs> first of all, that's the only fight on that card worth 75 bucks. So if that falls apart, <laughs> your co-main event is Derek Lewis and Tai Tuivasa, which I'm sure will make Mark happy. But... Oh, hot balls. Cool. No, I'll be watching Marry Me. I ain't watching the UFC this weekend. Uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, so I will be covering that in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. If you want to listen to my thoughts on mixed martial arts in more detail, I host the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. So wherever you're listening to this, you can put, punch that into your search engine and you'll probably find us. Uh, so this week is a mo- is a review and a preview of the two aforementioned shows. A little talk about news. I make fun of Tough. I make fun of John Jones just a little bit. Because they announced the coaches for the 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. And I care more about John Jones and his umpteenth crypt, uh, a teaser tweet about coming out about fighting at heavyweight than I do about anything related to The Ultimate Fighter. So you can listen to uh, that if you're so inclined. I deeply appreciate it if you are. And that's it. See you all next week. All right. For Robert Winfrey, I'm Mark Rattledge. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to insulting you in the future. Be well, be safe, and behave.